So Joseph's life. Let me try and give you a sort of a snapshot of Joseph's life very speedily. Joseph's life. He is the favorite child with the Technicolor dream coat, who then gets thrown down into a well by his jealous brothers, his Technicolor coat shredded, dipped in goat's blood, so it looks like he's dead. He's then sold as a slave. He works his way up the pecking order in Potiphar's house before getting slung into prison after this incident with Mrs. Potiphar. After a while, he becomes an advisor to Egypt's pharaoh, and then he's finally made prime minister of Egypt. So Joseph's life, it looks as sort of volatile and roller coaster as the stock market has over the last couple of weeks. I mean, he has a technicolor career to match his technicolor coat. And as we look at Joseph over the next uh, three weeks, we are going to think about the, the highs and the lows for us. The highs and the lows of our work and the highs and the lows of life, which obviously is particularly relevant with all that is going on at the moment. And today what we're going to do is we're going to think about the highs and the lows of life, particularly through the lens of ambition. Now ambition might sound like it's sort of not very relevant to the whole coronavirus situation, but actually I want to say that I think it is very, very relevant. Let me try and explain. Uh, The dictionary defines ambition as an eager or strong desire to achieve something. And when we think of ambition as that, well, ambition, it's not just a sort of preserve of the neurotic high achievers amongst us. Actually, all of us, look at that definition, all of us, we have an eager or strong desire to achieve something, don't we? We are all ambitious in that sense. Whether there's something that we are ambitious for is for for getting to the top of the company you work for or getting in the sports team at school or or, or wrestling for that last pack of loo roll off an old granny in an island Tesco's. We are all ambitious. Ambition, there's the definition, is an eager or strong desire to achieve something. And so whether that ambition, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it depends on the object of desire. It depends what that something is in the definition. So in Romans 15, verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes this about ambition. He says this. He says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And I doubt that any any one of us here in this room this evening would say that Paul was wrong to have that ambition. That's a great, it's a good, it's a fantastic godly ambition to have, isn't it? But then selfish ambition is talked about too in the Bible. So we're told in the Bible to do nothing out of selfish ambition. That the wisdom that leads to selfish ambition, it comes from the devil. That selfish ambition, it is an act of the sinful nature. So we need to be clear. We need to be clear on what is the difference between godly ambition, let's have it, and selfish ambition, let's avoid it. And I think the the first half of what Izzy read Joseph helps us so much because that first half, Joseph's age 17. Joseph's age 17 in chapter 37 and he's clearly talented, he's clearly ambitious, but it's selfish ambition, isn't it? You know, there he is, he's prancing around in his fancy coat, he's showing off about these amazing dreams he's having, he's just thinking all about himself. Now for sure, Joseph comes from a dysfunctional family background. You know, all the favoritism, he's the favorite child, and the sibling rivalry that results. And also his mum sadly dies when he's young. And so in a way, all all that, all Joseph's difficult family upbringing, 
All that, in some ways, for us is encouraging. Because I reckon if we were to do a sort of survey amongst us all here this evening, probably 80% of us would testify that in our wider family, there is some sizable dysfunction somewhere. You know, two family members who really don't get on, feuds, abuse, never-ending arguments, people frozen out, whatever it might be. And so we, as we think about ourselves and and our family dysfunctions, I think actually it's surprisingly encouraging that out of a kaleidoscope of chaos and complication, much like we're in at the moment with the coronavirus, out of this uh, combination of chaos and complication comes a man, Joseph. A man whom God used as a phenomenal example of God's grace and God's love. A man whom God used, as we'll discover later in the story, for the saving of many lives. So tonight, even if you, even if your family background is chaotic and complicated, I would love for you to be encouraged this evening. To be encouraged that God can use you, just as he used Joseph. But the reality is, at the start, there in Genesis 37, he's age 17, Actually, one Bible commentator summarizes Joseph. He just says, Joseph is a spoiled brat. That's how he starts out, a spoiled brat. And yet God seems to have been at work in Joseph over the the next few years, in the struggles, in the suffering, because when we meet him again in Genesis 39 in Potiphar's house, we see him changed. We see him changed, and he's displaying two key marks of godly ambition rather than selfish ambition. Two key marks that we need to hold on to. Joseph, he may have lost his coat, but he seems to have discovered his character. So let's look at these two marks of godly ambition. Here's the first one. The first one is he refuses to sin against God. He refuses to sin against God. If you look at them, page 43, the first few verses of Genesis 39, if you just scan down them, you can just see it's all talking about how successful Joseph is in his job in Potiphar's house. He is just super, super successful. He's getting promoted far beyond anyone else in the house. Just look at verse 6 there at the bottom of the page. Look at what it says. Verse 6 says, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. So Joseph was successful, he was sturdy, and he was sexy. (laughs) Joseph, he was the original Jamie Mulvaney. He was the original. Perhaps a little bit more sturdy than Jamie, probably a little bit more sexy too. But, you know, there we go. But Joseph had it all, and Potiphar's wife, she wanted a piece of the action, didn't she? Now, you know what they say, opportunity only knocks once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. And that was Mrs. Potiphar. She was doing a lot of leaning on the doorbell. Leaning, beckoning, grabbing, persisting. And it will be similar for each one of us here this evening in our different situations. Now, the temptation to sin, it may not come in the form of sexual temptation, but there will be huge temptations to sin for all of us. And they will be temptations because it is an attractive offer. 
Whatever it may be, in our different situations, it will be an attractive offer that feeds into our ambitions. It'll be an attractive offer to us that makes our ambitions, whatever your ambition is or mine is, an attractive offer that makes our ambitions possible, but causes us to sin to get there. Whatever that ambition may be for you, whether our ambition is promotion at work or having Lou roll in the house, that is what the temptation is. It's temptation because it's an attractive offer to reach our ambition. Corey Ashbury is a, um, a worship leader in the States. He wrote the song, well, all, many of us will know, Reckless Love. And it was a, a Christian music sensation when it came out a couple of years ago. And as a result, Corey was asked to, to tour all over the place, do loads of gigs, travel loads. But then what happened to everyone's surprise, after he just released his single, Reckless Love, he decided to take the whole of the next year off. The next 12 months, he took off. He refused all touring. He didn't travel at all. He just led worship at his home church once a month. That's it. Let me just quote what he wrote about why he chose to do that. He writes this. He says, After the success of Reckless Love, I felt my life was unraveling and my family had been hanging on by a thread. Since I was a kid, I always wanted to get the big gig and do the stuff. So many years of my life had been spent working towards that goal, and all of a sudden, when I achieved it, I heard the Father saying, I never cared about this goal. I only cared about your heart. My wife, Anna, reminded me of a conversation she had with our son, Gabriel. She asked him if he had the choice to either travel the world and go on tour with Dad to all the big cities and eat all the best food, or get a dog and stay home for a year. Which would he choose? Corey Asprey says this. He says, I was thinking about my response that I would rather travel and see all the places and eat all the food. And Anna told me that Gabriel responded so quickly and just said, Mommy, that's easy. I'd get a dog and stay home together. So we stayed home together as a family and bought a dog. We set boundaries around our family and cultivated healthy dialogue about my career. Now, what I hope you see in Corey Asprey's answer is that whilst it is a very different temptation from Joseph's, his temptation is putting his work before his family, whereas Joseph's temptation is being tempted to sleep with the boss's wife. They're very different temptations. But their reasons for not succumbing to those temptations, they are exactly the same as each other. Just look at verse 8, top of page uh, 44. Look at verse 8 of uh, chapter 39. Verse 8, look at the reasons that Joseph gives as to why he will not go to bed with Potiphar's wife. Verse 8, it says, but Joseph refused. He's speaking to, to Potiphar's wife. He says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater than this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now as you look at those verses, I hope you see, really Joseph gives two reasons why he's not going to go to bed with her. First, he says, because it would be an offense horizontally against the boss, Potiphar. So it would be an offense horizontally. But he says also it would be an offense vertically. It would be an offense against God. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So he's got those two reasons why he doesn't succumb to the temptation. The horizontal reason and the vertical reason. And it's exactly the same with Corey Asprey. He talks about the horizontal reason and the vertical reason. 
You see, Joseph, he refuses to compartmentalize his life. Joseph knows that God cares about how he lives and how he acts in all areas of his life, not just what he does at church on a Sunday. He knows that God cares about how he acts at work, how he acts in the pub, how he acts in the supermarket, how he acts driving the car with the family. You know, earlier we sang, I will give you all my worship. And as we were singing that, I will give you all my worship, what were we thinking about? Were we just thinking we were giving God all our worship as we were singing now? Or were we actually saying, yeah, I'm giving you all my worship as I worship you throughout the week, when I'm down the pub, when I'm in the supermarket, when I'm driving the car, when I'm at work. I will give you all my worship. I'm not going to compartmentalize my life. That was Joseph. Is it you and me? Where are you tempted to sin in order to achieve your ambitions, your ambitions in work or in life? Where do you need to put godliness before your ambitions? Where do you need to be more concerned for your purity than your prospects? That's the first mark of godly ambition, refusing to sin against God. And here's the second mark. The second mark is that you are ready to shine for God. You're ready to shine for God. You see, there must have come, just sort of put yourself in, in Joseph's shoes for a moment. There must have come a moment early on in Potiphar's house when Joseph said to himself, you know what? I am going to make the most of this for God. I'm going to stop moping around, stop doing the minimum necessary just to get by, but I am going to be the best slave that Potiphar has ever had for God's glory. And you know, sometimes all we can do, like Joseph, is to look around at wherever God has placed us, placed us in our job, placed us in our situation, whatever it is, and say, despite the difficulties, despite the fact that this situation that I'm in, it sucks in all sorts of ways, despite that, I'm going to make the most of this now for God's glory. That's what Joseph does. As a slave in Potiphar's house, and later in the chapter, in prison. Look at um, verse 3 of the chapter. Verse 3 is in Potiphar's house. And what does it say? Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Or if you go on to the end of the chapter, after Joseph's unjustly been slung in prison as a result of the lies of Potiphar's wife that she told after trying to unsuccessfully to seduce Joseph, what is, what is said is exactly the same thing. Very last line, verse 23, says the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Both times the report is that it is the Lord who gave Joseph success. And presumably that is the report because Joseph was at pains to point out that the Lord was the primary cause of his success. He was ready to shine for God, not saying it's all about me, aren't I great? Just shining for himself. No, it was the Lord who gave him success. Here I think is the danger for some of us. This is the danger. Deep in our hearts, we think, God, I will shine for you in the future when my life's sorted. When I've left school and I'm, ad I'm an adult, then I'll shine for you. When I've got a job and there's money coming into my bank account, then I'll shine for you. When I'm in a senior position in my job and I can have influence, then I'll shine for you. When I'm married and things are stable, then I'll shine for you. 
When the children have left home and I've got more time, then I'll shine for you. When things are sorted, God, then I will shine for you. But you know, the truth is that things will never be totally sorted. Some of us, we think that we have got to have the technicolor coat on to be able to shine for God. We've got to have the externals all right before we can shine. But here's Joseph. He's a slave. He's in prison. The coat's been shredded long ago. The externals, they are completely wrong. But it doesn't stop him shining for God in the present right now where he is in that tough situation. And for us right now, with the coronavirus, the externals are all wrong. They're totally wrong. Things are not sorted at the moment. And the question is, will we shine now for ourselves or for God? You know, for many of us, the problem is not that we're too ambitious, but that we are not ambitious enough. We're not ambitious enough. Can I ask you, if as as you've thought about your ambitions in life, if your ambitions in life, if they all revolve around your own personal peace and affluence, then with all due respect, your ambitions, they're not big enough. If as you've thought about your ambitions in life, if your ambitions, they're all about your personal concerns and your status in other people's eyes, then your ambitions, they are not big enough. What has God put on your heart, or what will God put on your heart, maybe even today, that is bigger than your own personal concerns, even perhaps the concerns of your family? What can you be invested in? What can you be ambitious for that isn't just some sort of small-minded, selfish ambition connected to you? Here at church, what's your ambition? What is your ambition with HTC? Is it to, to enjoy the worship and hear a powerful talk? That's great. But is your ambition bigger than yourself? Is your ambition maybe to be part of the children's team, seeing young lives bearing fruit for Jesus? Is it to play a key role in reversing the decline of church attendance in South London as South London has come to Christ through the ministry of HTC? Is your ambition big enough? In your work, what is your ambition? To get promoted, to get a pay rise, to get a new job, great. But is your ambition bigger than yourself? Maybe to be a change agent in your office, moving the culture from one of backbiting and gossiping to one of honoring and encouraging. Maybe to start an alpha course in your place of work, as I know at least two people in our congregation have done in the last few weeks, one in a really uh, cutthroat business environment, the other in a hospital. Is your ambition at work big enough? With the coronavirus, what is your ambition? Is your ambition just focused on yourself? Whether you're at the sort of panic buying end, get out of my way, I need the last paracetamols, I need the last antibacterial wash, I am a lean, mean, germ-free machine. Or whether you're at the other end, what's the big fuss? You know, I'm young, I'm healthy, It'll be fine if I get it. It's not much worse than the flu. My ambition is just to live life normally. I'm not going to change a thing. Is your ambition about the coronavirus just about yourself? Whatever end of the spectrum you might be, 
Or is your ambition bigger than yourself? Are you making changes to your life because of the coronavirus, not so much for your sake, but for the sake of those who are most vulnerable to the virus? Are we thinking about how we can be a blessing in sharing God's love in action to our neighbors and our friends and to those most in need? Are your and my ambitions big enough? Because if our ambitions, if they are just centered on ourselves, then you and I will never be ready to shine for God. And so I want to ask, if you are being challenged this evening, I want to urge you to change as Joseph did. That change we see from Joseph's age 17 to Joseph in his mid-twenties, will that same change happen with us so that we might be ambitious to use the gifts that God has given us for God's glory, to shine for him? And if that scares you, as it does for me regularly, it is a scary thing. If you say, laying down my selfish ambitions, it is risky. If you say having an ambition that is big, that is so big, that it's bigger than just me, that it builds God's kingdom on earth, not my kingdom. If you say that is dangerous, I know how you feel. If you say the unknowns, people might think I'm weird. I'm with you, it is scary. And yet, if we're thinking that, can I finish with one simple reason why you and I need not fear. We need not fear, very simply, because the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. In Genesis 39, as Joseph, as he looks to shine for God in Potiphar's house, then in prison, what is the refrain? It comes time and again and again and again. It comes four times in the chapter. Four times in the chapter, it says the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, when the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, because the Lord was with Joseph. Four times, the Lord was with Joseph. And so, you know, as you and I, as we choose to direct our energies away from our selfish ambitions and towards godly ambitions, As you and I, as we expand our vision beyond our personal needs to have more ambition, to have bigger ambition, to be more ambitious for God's kingdom to grow, as you do that, the Lord will be with you. And as I close, would you remember not so much the great commission, but rather the great ambition? Would you remember the great ambition? Remember what the something is that Jesus has a a strong and eager desire to achieve. Just before he ascends to heaven, end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verse 19. Here is Jesus' great ambition. He says, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is Jesus' overriding ambition. That is his great ambition. But how does he finish it? There's another sentence. He continues and he says, And surely, 
I am with you always. To the very end of the age. I am with you always. So can I urge you, as I urge myself, whatever the next weeks hold, whatever they hold, would you have big ambitions? Would you have greater ambitions than just ambitions for yourself? And would you do that? Because the Lord will be with you. He will. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, where we're fearful, would you come by your spirit and would you bring your peace and your love? And Jesus, thank you that that isn't just some sort of make-believe, pie-in-the-sky thing that we can pray, but it is real because you're risen, you're ascended, and you're alive today. And you say that you will be with us to the very ends of the age. And so, Jesus, please, by your Spirit, bring your peace and your love to each one of us tonight.